0: There are major doubts around the capacity of the UK economy and other Western economies to experience high growth rates in the way we've experienced them after World War II. And, you know, there are very high chances that the kind of strong growth period uh, may be over.
1: My name is Kirsty Styles and welcome to the weekly economics podcast from the New Economics Foundation. This week, we're back with Olivier Vardaculias from NEF to talk about whether we're about to witness the end of growth.
0: Buildings are empty businesses going under confidence dropping the real economy is suffering big time in december the governor of the bank of canada floated the idea that if conditions warranted the bank could consider moving interest rates into negative territory.
1: The Bank of Japan pulls a fast one, implementing negative interest rates.
0: We may have a chronic excess of savings over investment in the economy, the phenomenon known as secular stagnation. I think we're actually looking at this sort of secular stagnation, this horrible phrase in in the face. We are incrementally getting there. We are not going to succeed as a country unless we get the underlying growth rate of our economy up by a significant margin. Could it be that the best years of American economic growth is behind us? And maybe economic growth is almost over.
1: So hello, Olivier. Welcome back uh, once again to the weekly economics podcast. Hey, okay. <laughs> My BGF, best Greek friend. Uh, this week, you're going to uh, talk to us um, about growth or rather a lack of it. So can you tell us what uh, the long term trends are for economic growth in the UK?
0: Well, I mean, you know, anybody who can forecast in the long term and, and give a definite answer to that is, is a charlatan, right? But, <laughs> uh, but in effect, you know, we're seeing a, a few trends uh, over the past decades. And, you know, there are very high chances that the kind of, you know, strong growth period uh, may be over. There are some estimations that, you know, consider uh, the future growth rate of the UK to be around 1% over the next decades, and that compares to something like 2.5% over the last 20 or 30 years or so. And yeah, this is a trend uh, we've been observing as well in other countries.
1: So, is 1% compared to 2.5% you know, a huge difference? It doesn't sound that big to me.
0: Well, it's not necessarily uh, a, a huge difference. Uh, I mean, 1% is just one of the estimates, right? Uh, it may be more, it may be less. Uh, but the point is this one, is that there are major doubts around uh, the capacity of the UK economy and other Western economies to experience, you know, high growth rates in the way we've experienced them after World War II. Okay. Uh, and therefore, you know, there is an open question around what that means for the economy, for society, and for the kind of problems we're facing right now, among which unemployment, high debts and so on.
1: Okay. And so you've already alluded to some Western Uh, nations are experiencing similar problems. Is this a similar story right across the world?
0: Well, yes. What we've been observing after uh, the crisis is basically a very big gap between actual economic performance and what economists call potential economic performance. Potential economic performance is a kind of measure of how the economy should perform if it was at full capacity, that is, if we used all our resources, uh, such as human resources, technological capacity, natural resources to to a full effect. Uh, And this gap is quite big. And this means that, you know, we haven't seen a strong recovery, Uh, would expect to have a big rebound after, after a crisis. This has clearly not been the case. Growth has been quite anemic. And the question, you know, is whether we should expect uh, a rebound or, in reality, whether we're in a phase of uh, economic history where, you know, growth will be stagnant.
1: OK, so it sounds like that's what, what we're heading towards. Um, you don't think there's going to be a return to high, the high growth rates that we saw pre-2008 kind of 2008 crash?
0: Well, I don't know. But there are different estimations uh, going on around, you know, in the, in the kind of uh, academic world. Uh, on the topic. So, in effect, you know, it's the first time after many, many decades that mainstream economies and mainstream economic thinking uh, starts considering that actually uh, growth is slowing down, has been slowing down, and that, in effect, uh, we shouldn't base policymaking on the assumption that it will just magically resume uh, in this post-crisis period. And you shouldn't
1: base policy decisions on magic. Sounds good. Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> and, you know, I tend to concur with that. Uh, obviously, there are different types of analysis uh, on the topic. And so, in essence, what you have are uh, three main arguments uh, for which we may not see the kind of economic growth and increase of living standards we've been observing over the past half century or more. Uh, the first one has been expressed by Larry Summers, who's former uh, US Treasury official. And Larry Summers has spoken very openly about what he calls secular stagnation, which is a prolonged period of economic stagnation in essence. And what he sees is that very clearly, Uh, there is a mismatch between savings and investment. So everybody's hoarding money, saving, and this does not translate into increased investment in the economy. Central banks have been trying uh, to channel these savings into investment by having very low interest rates, but this is not working or it's working to a very little extent. A second hypothesis has been proposed by Robert Gordon in a very recent book, which is called The Rise and Fall of US Growth. And his analysis is slightly different. So he considers that the main driver of uh, what Summers observes uh, has been, or, you know, a declining rate of productivity growth and technological change uh, over the past decades. So it's not that, you know, we don't have technological innovation and so on, but this is clearly in decline compared to the 50s, 60s and so on. And therefore, we shouldn't expect uh, high productivity growth to go on in the future. And then the third hypothesis is that the key driver of weak growth are basically very high inequalities, uh, which in effect uh, is something that has been occurring since the 1970s. Now, how do inequalities link to growth? Well, high concentration of income into uh, the top social classes means that income is going to people who are basically spending less and saving more. And symmetrically, you have people in lower and middle classes who usually spend more rather than save, who have less and less income. So in effect, you're reducing demand in the economy, this reduces investment, uh, and therefore uh basically, you have lower grades.
1: OK, cool. Right. So we're going to take the first one first, as they say. Um, Larry Summers, uh, as you said, former um, head of the U.S. Treasury, he says we're heading for secular stagnation. Can you tell me what he means by secular uh, and secondly, what uh, he thinks we can do about that?
0: So he uses, basically, this is an old concept developed in, uh, by an economist in the 1930s, uh, which, you know, uh, Larry Summers dug out and, and redeveloped or rebranded in the current context. Uh, as i said before the key assumption in mainstream economics regarding you know boom and bust was that basically you know when you have a crisis the economy rebounds and everything continues as business as usual so you have these kind of cycles of you know more growth and less growth and more growth and so on now what larry summer says and that's what makes it secular is that actually we shouldn't expect any spectacular rebounds uh, in the post-crisis period. So what we're seeing is a period of you know, sluggish growth. This year, for example, we're seeing again that there are major threats uh, to the official growth figures or you know, the kind of economic performance we expected for 2016. And you know we thought we were out of the woods in 2015 where it turns out probably we're not. So this idea is that over 20, 30 years, uh, we may be observing a similar situation.
1: Um, and so what do you, what does he think that we can do about this then?
0: Well, uh, basically, we need to go beyond the kind of conventional toolbox. Uh, as I said before, the conventional toolbox focuses on monetary policy, right? You lower interest rates and therefore you should expect an increase in demand and investment and so on. This is clearly not what's happening and this is why banks are discussing the idea of negative interest rates and so on. So for Summers, we need to go beyond monetary policy. We need to start thinking about fiscal policy, so more state spending in the economy in order to revive activity, more state investment, and potentially quite radical monetary policy measures as well, such as negative interest rates.
1: And Larry Summers kind of touches on inequality as a driver of this stagnation, but some people think that that's more of a key factor, right?
0: Yes. Uh, So, he lists, you know, a potential number of factors to explain uh, why, you know, although we have very low interest rates, people or firms and companies are reluctant to actually borrow and invest. One of them is inequalities, for the reason I explained before. Another one could be down to technology. Another one is basically an aging population, uh, less uh, labor participation, and so on. So he lists a number of factors, but you know he hasn't actually done research trying to investigate which of these factors is the most important for him. Now, other people uh, have stressed that You know, a number of these factors could be the most critical ones. And there isn't an agreement on that. So some people consider that inequalities is the main driver of low growth.
1: Okay, so Robert Gordon says the problem is deeper uh, and that just increasing public spending and redistributing uh, to deal with equality won't fix it. Uh, Why does he think that the future will simply be less productive?
0: Well, you know, we've been working on the assumption that we're going to have very strong endless technological growth and innovation that, you know, prop up the economic system, economic activity all the time. Now, if you look at historical trends, what's been happening is a declining rate of productivity growth. Uh, and particularly of the kind of productivity growth which is down to new inventions, to, you know, technological applications of these new inventions in the real world and so on. This may sound a bit weird, uh in a context where, you know, we're all into the ICT, technology revolution, et cetera, et cetera. But actually what he shows in his book is that these developments are relatively minor compared to the inventions that happened throughout the 20th century. And therefore, it's not that we're not going to see technological developments and innovation. It's more that these will not translate into the kind of transformations we experienced over the 20th century.
1: So, if Robert Gordon's right then, isn't that a disaster? Uh, what does an economy without growth even look like?
0: Well, for many years, we've been assuming that growth will solve all our problems. You know, you want to increase employment, we need growth. Uh, you want to have less people living in poverty, grow the economy. You want to reduce the debt burden, grow the economy. So. To every problem, uh, the answer, the standard answer of policymakers has been that we need more growth. Now, firstly, we can challenge uh, the idea that growth has actually delivered on all these things, because we could have, you know, low well-being despite growth, poverty despite growth, high inequalities despite growth, and so on and so forth. Uh, And therefore, it also means that we can deliver a lot in a low growth environment if we start Challenging and thinking about other ways of organizing our economy. Uh, a very simple example is around unemployment and working hours. We could share work better uh, by having a shorter working week. Uh, we could potentially imagine ways of reducing the debt burden without needing high growth rates, for example, through a jubilee. Uh, we could Potentially start focusing more on our well-being and less on our simple material satisfaction.
1: That all sounds beautiful. So Japan is an economy that's had a problem with stagnation for quite a while, right? Uh, What have they done about it?
0: Yes, that's correct. Japan has been in virtual stagnation, you know, for more than, than 20 years. And this is far from a disaster, you know, from an economic or social standpoint. I mean, their unemployment rate is at around 3.5-4% right now, for example. And that's
1: compared to ours, which is?
0: 5.4%. Okay. Yes, we've also not seen, you know, this period of stagnation translate into, for example, lower life expectancy or worse outcomes from a wider well-being perspective or health perspective necessarily. So what I'm trying to say here is that you know this is not necessarily a catastrophic evolution. Uh, what it does mean is that we need to think of better ways of, of organizing the economy based on the assumption that we're not necessarily going to have high growth rates. And this means that a series of problems we face uh, need different policy answers and different policy solutions.
1: Okay. Well, it sounds like you've got your work cut out for you, Olivier, coming up with those answers. Thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, to chat to us about growth or not. Thank you. We'll be back at the same time next week. If you want to help the podcast, please go to iTunes now and give us a rating. It really helps us find new listeners. Right now we have more than 40 different reviews from people, uh, but by my economics, there's certainly more than 40 of you listening. So get on there and click five stars. Thank you. The weekly economics podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.